Okay, church family, if you will, let's go ahead and start making our way back to our seats. Good to see everybody this morning, and we've got some, some first-time people. We're glad that you guys are here worshiping with us. We had some first-time people when we did the tables a couple of weeks ago. You know, they walked in, and we had tables set up all over the place, and they're like, what in the world is this church all about? Uh, today's going to be a little bit like that as well. We're not setting up tables, but it's going to be a different kind of a service, and I'll explain that as we walk through. So we're going to go through First Peter today. Um, before we do so, I just want to just say a quick prayer, and then we'll jump in and, and, and talk about what's going to be happening this morning. So let's pray together. Uh, Father, once again, we're just coming before you. And Lord, this morning, uh, we're going to hear your word. And we pray that as people continue to come in and get kids settled and get a coffee and, and, and have a seat, Lord, and open up the word of God. Lord, we just pray that you would just remove obstacles. We all have them. We have busy lives. There's financial struggles, and there's appointments, and there's conflict, and there's anxieties over children. And there's just all kinds of things that we deal with. And Lord, I pray that even as your passage reminds us this morning, that we would humble ourselves, that we would cast those anxieties upon you, and that you would open up your word to us this morning and speak to us encourage us, challenge us, remind us. Lord, we just, we pray that and that, that Jesus would become more real than he's ever been. And that we would walk out of here, not talking about Redstone Church, but talking about Christ and your gospel. In your name we pray. Amen. So we've been in First Peter for a while, and today we come to the end of First Peter. I'm going to do a quick introduction, um, and then we're going to have some different men that are going to be coming um, up here and giving a microphone in their hands. So I, I thought about this book, and it's written by Peter. Peter, who was a fisherman, and that in the providence and the sovereignty of God was called to be one of the 12 disciples that the Lord would use to reshape the world and to take his message to the uttermost parts of the world. You know, this was, this was Peter. And then he became a part of the inner circle with uh, James and with John. And, and he got to see things. He got to experience things that even the other nine disciples did not get to. This is Peter who wrote this book that we're going to hear this morning. It's Peter who himself walked on the water. Now, he sank as well when he took his eyes off Jesus. But did anybody else walk on the water? No, Peter did. This is Peter who told the Lord that he would never let him die. I will never let you die. And the Lord gave him a very sharp rebuke for that because to die was the purpose that Jesus was coming. There would be no salvation unless Jesus gave his blood. This is Peter who declared, who do the people say that I am? And he says, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus says, that's right. And he gave him this word that we now know as, you know, Petros, you know, it's Peter. He's this rock that the Lord was going to use to bring about his salvation. This is Peter who wrote this book, who cut off the Roman soldier's ear, who said that he would die for Jesus, but then he turned around and he denied him 
three times. And with one of those denials, he cursed and said, I don't even know him. This is Peter who wrote this book. He was later restored by Jesus. Jesus reminds him that he was called to take the gospel forward. Peter, who would declare the gospel when Pentecost came in the book of Acts with great authority and thousands of people would come to faith. This is Peter, the fisherman, who wrote this amazing book. And when I see that, I have such great hope because in that, we use this word, it's called sanctification. It's when Jesus reveals himself in all of his glory, in his glorious gospel, this good news that we're broken and that we're helpless and that we're sinful. And he shows us that he and his sacrifice can cover all of our sins if we would believe. And then he will come live within us and he will transform who we are, how we act, what we do, what we live for, all of these things. And you can see that in Peter, the fisherman. And I just marvel when I see that because when I see that, when I see Peter who sometimes would just say crazy things and he would just do foolish things and he would make these bold declarations that would not be true and then I see the Lord just smile and say, I'm going to use you anyway in spite of what you think is truth or in spite of these things that you do or say, I'm going to use you anyway. And now we see in 1 Peter we see this bold, gospel-centric, Jesus-loving Peter who would later die upside down on a cross himself. This is Peter who wrote this. We see in Acts that he was called to take the gospel to the Gentiles as well as to the Jews, and that's primarily who this letter was written to. These were Gentile Christians, and they were dispersed throughout Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. And these Christians, these Gentile Christians, were undergoing various types of sufferings and persecutions for their faith. He's writing to these Christians to remind them, to instruct them, and to encourage them. And he starts off a lot like Paul did. We went through Ephesians, and Paul started off in Ephesians 1, and I said that he gives this heavenly peripheral view of what Jesus has done. And he's, he, 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 he displays these things that Jesus has done, and then he just praises the Lord. Well, Peter starts off that way as well. And he begins in chapter 1 by reminding them that because of what Christ has done and their faith in him, that they are recipients of salvation and that they now serve the true, the holy, and the only God. And he reminds them that through this glorious gospel, that their lives have been radically transformed through all eternity. And as such, they are to representing God there to be holy in the same way that God is holy. And he uses a lot of Old Testament Im imagery using things like chosen race and royal priesthood to show who they are now. He reminds them that Christ was hated and he was rejected and that they should see themselves as alien aliens and sojourners on this earth and that they will likewise be rejected and that they will be hated. He reminds them that because of what Christ has done within them, 
that their relationships that exist on this planet, whatever they might be, that they need to be different. They need to show honor to people, even in difficult situations, that they are to show honor, to show everyone that this Christ that has saved them is transforming them and enabling them to forgive in the same manner that they have been forgiven, to overlook offenses, to turn the other cheek, those kinds of things because the world is watching to see if this gospel is true. And part of what we read in First Peter is him reminding them of that over and over and over. He continues to give various instructions how they should live. And over and over he reminds them how they should suffer and that they should be willing to suffer. He then turns his attention to the leaders of the church and he instructs them, and he reminds them and all of us that we need to humble ourselves before God and that we need to cast our anxieties upon him and that he is in control. He is mighty God. He ends by reminding all of us that we do indeed have an enemy. He attacks us. He hates us. And he lives through the people that we will face on this earth, but God has dominion over all of these people and all of these situations. And he says this, that the holiness of God has passed down to us, the fact that we are now exiles and sojourners, the fact that we will be persecuted and that we will suffer, and the fact that we will be sought out by the enemy himself, that all of this is the true grace of God. This is the grace of God. It embodies all of those things. We don't pick and choose the things that we like, forgiveness of sins in heaven, and ignore the other parts that our behavior has to change the way that we live in this world. We have to learn to forgive in the same way that we've been forgiven. We have to be willing to be persecuted, and we have to pray that God would give us the endurance and the strength to be persecuted. All of that makes up the true grace of God, and then he says, stand firm in it. This is a circular letter, and it was intended to be read to all of the churches in Asia Minor from beginning to the end. So just as we did with the book of Ephesians, we will end our teaching in 1 Peter by reading this letter in its entirety. This is the letter that Peter gives to these churches, and this is the letter that Redstone Church, through this Fisherman Peter, who became a rock used by God to bring salvation to, to countless numbers of people. This is the letter that we're reading to the church at Redstone Church Elizabethan today. We do encourage you just to write down themes, to write down key words, write down a verse or two that really jumps out at you, or just remember what the Lord has shown you throughout this study. With that, Mike Tierney is going to start us off, and we're going to have five men that are going to read each chapter. So yes, this morning is going to look different, but it's definitely going to have the Word of God as the central figure, and Jesus and His salvation. Let's pray together. Oh God, we, when we see Peter and how you've changed him and transformed him, it gives us all hope. Lord, thank you, and thank you for his bold declaration of the gospel message, and I pray as I already prayed once, that you would give us ears to hear and that we would walk away seeing the gospel and seeing our mission as Jesus followers. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
So this is the word of the Lord, 1 Peter chapter 1. This is Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in his last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness, genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ is in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in things that you have not been announced that have now been announced to you, though those who, through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. Therefore, prepare your minds for action, and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As, ob as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from, from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead, gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth of a sincere brotherly love, Love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, though the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you.
So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, for it stains in Scripture. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So, th so the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love your brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin, you are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, but that you might follow in his footsteps. He, commanded, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. I do think it's a little ironic that I'm reading chapter 3. My, my wife's not here. So <laughs> this is First uh, Peter chapter 3. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word 
by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how a whole, the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their husbands, to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Finally, all of you, have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ as Lord, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame, for it is better to suffer for doing good if it should be God's will than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for good conscience. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been made subject to them. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so has to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. 
With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they will malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the, the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be glory, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome? For those, who do not, for those who do not obey the gospel of God, and if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. 
By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Pray with me. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you so much for this gift of 1 Peter. <clears throat> we pray, Lord, that, that you would use it to encourage us and strengthen us, and that your spirit would be transforming us and imparting to us what you desire for us to know. In your name we pray, amen. So, I don't know if it's because I was the fifth one or what, but I get to be the one to open it up for everyone to share a little bit. Um, I think Jerry summarized it so well, but we know First Peter is a book that is meant to encourage us, those of us in trials, those of us with burdens, with broken circumstances. And I think all of us can recognize over the past few months when have we not been in one of those circumstances? When have we not had those burdens? As we go and, and share and just reflect on First Peter and everything that God is, has done with it in our lives, this time that we're going to share with each other, not so much to a ask questions because Lord knows I can't answer them, but more a chance to, to testify a little bit. How has God used First Peter to restore confirm, strengthen, and establish you over the last few months, and even just in this reading that we had today. So let's open it up. Who would like to share? First Peter nailed it, didn't he? It's a great reminder that it takes, I don't know that we realize this all the time, but it takes more strength to be submissive to a government, to a boss, to anyone. I think of Christ on the cross when he had the ability to, to call 10,000 angels or a million angels to deliver him, the strength it took for him not to do that in the will. Um, so being submissive to me is in the message here is that it really takes strength to do that. The strength of the Lord to do that. Awesome. Thanks. I think I was most encouraged in this recent reading uh, with chapter 4, verse what was it? 11, um, specifically the last half of it, which just said, do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. And I think I was encouraged by that. Like, 
I'm, I'm so tempted always to be like, I'm the one who did that, you know, like glory to me in that situation because I, I supplied all the energy. I extended my help here and here and here. And it's just an encouragement and convicting to me to know he's the one who supplies anything that I'm able to do. And shame on me for putting glory on myself instead of him in that situation. Hey, Allie, I, I had a similar experience with that verse. Um, but for me, it was, I was so tired and, and I hadn't um, learned the, the value and the necessity of rest at that point. And that verse really, it was, it was probably one of the times where I would say I heard God's voice audibly because I said, I'm so tired and you, you, you said, do it with the strength that you provide, and I'm so tired. And he said, well, I haven't asked you to do half the things that you're doing. <laughs> and so, like, where you were saying, oh, well, I'm, I don't want to take the glory for the, the things that I've been doing, I was just like, well, where's all this power and strength? And he was just like, um, why don't you ask me what to do first? Because um, I was just spread so thin. So I think that's another thing, is he was just like, when I've asked you to do something, I will give you the strength and I will get the glory for it. And it and when I shifted that way, it was kind of amazing. I did things that I couldn't have done on my own. And then I couldn't take the glory for myself because I was just like, yeah, that was totally him. Um, and so there was just a shift when that verse hit me like a ton of bricks. Yeah, just real quick, I think, I think Peter would resonate with that really well. You think about him when he first met Jesus fishing all night, catching nothing. And Jesus is like, just toss it over here. <laughs> you know, so I think, I, totally, thank you, Michelle, yeah. Something that struck me through just the whole book is just how well it relates back to the gospel. Um, and as I'm learning to be a better teacher of the word and, and learning to handle the word better, that's such a good reminder for me. Um, part of it's the way that um, it's been preached through. And part of it is just the fact that Peter himself um, puts that message just so clearly. Uh, it seems like in every chapter, at least, I have a verse underlined with a note in the margin that says, this is the gospel. Because it's just presented just so clearly over and over again. Jesus died for us. He took our sins. And this is what we're called to do because of the gospel. And every single thing relates back to that, um, which is such a good reminder as me, for me as a teacher, to be presenting the gospel in that way that it permeates every aspect of our lives. I think in uh, chapter 5, the uh, verse 5 and the second part of it and following, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. 
Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that the, at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. That stood out to me because it, uh, I tend to be an anxious person, and I never really uh, connected anxiety with my pride. Um, and, it, and it makes sense the more we try to control uh, in our lives as a, a proud gesture, the more we can, we will realize that we are not in control and it can be a very scary thing. So uh, to cast all my anxieties on him, especially in this day and age and all the things going on in the world that are very concerning and very scary, it's, uh, it's a big act of faith to, to say, God is in control and no matter what happens, even if what we consider to be the worst would happen in our lives, he's still good because he cares for us. And that really stood out to me. Yeah, yeah thanks, brother. I think all of us can identify well with the anxieties just of today just and, and the heaviness of life, you know, that totally. Anybody else? So if you don't know me, I came from uh, Abu Dhabi. I've been living there for the, like, the last five years or so. Um, I had uh, a lot of youth always coming over to my house. Um, I was the, the youth leader for the area. I had one student that I met at a pool, and I kept on trying to get him to come. Um, we talked about apologetics. We talked about all kinds of stuff. He was, man, he believed in, he believed in Jesus. Um, he was from Jordan. Um, and he kept on deleting all my texts and all of his texts after we'd, after we'd spoken. Um, and finally, he came over and he said, um, I, I don't have a Bible. I, I want a Bible. So I said, well, I'll give you mine. Um, so I gave him my Bible, and um, he ran over in the middle of the day when his parents weren't at home, grabbed the Bible, and this is, he ran, he ran probably at least a mile over to my house, and then ran back to his house. Wouldn't let me take him, wouldn't let me, he didn't want to be seen with me. Um, and I asked him why, and he said, well, if they find out when I go home back to Jordan, my family might kill me. Um, so, and Peter, when it talks about persecution, um, as, as Christians, I think probably anybody in this room would say, hey, you know, if, if you're, if you're put to the test, yeah, I'll die for, I'll die for Christ. But what about when you're not being put to that test? Yeah. What about when you're living in all of the comforts and somebody asks you, um, and then you're like Peter when he denies Christ three times, um, and I feel like here, that's what we're living in. So when you're living your normal life, what are you doing for Christ? Are you, are you putting yourself on that same line that you would if somebody challenged you? I mean, as Americans, we're stubborn people. If somebody challenges us, man, we're, we are all in. But what happens when you're not being challenged? Yeah, that's beautiful, I think, too, because we see Peter exemplify both those scenarios, you know, 
at the moment when he's pressed. I don't know him. And then Jesus comes back and strengthens him and confirms him and restores him. And Peter ends his life crucified just like Christ. You know, wherever we're at in that process, God is ready to step in, strengthen us, confirm us, you know, accomplish what he has. But you're right, man. It's, we, need, we need that that struggle sometimes. We need the chance for him to show up and do it in our life, you know. Beautiful. I just, I just recently saw a video clip which I love sometimes when you talk to someone who uh, and this is it was a very, very it was probably three years old where I listened to it and thought what beautiful song you know, and that just started to ripple up in me too. Oh anyway, uh no matter what, uh, I said the YouTube video was a song and it was about how God will fix it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's like the only words to the song. And it's like, no matter what, because I guess you can be in a situation and you think, oh, I'll do this and that'll fix it. Or I'll do that and it'll fix it. Or I'll get rid of this person or I'll, get, I'll start that job or I'll do whatever. And sometimes you can put so many band-aids and try and, you know, different joints, different material, different that, different time, different area, different whatever. Uh, it doesn't really matter, yeah. you know. Uh, sometimes when you're trying, like, making more mistakes, it's like um, sometimes a good reminder is nice. I was over here bawling while we were reading Peter because it's just, it's like, the truth yeah. I don't know it's weird when you can feel it yeah, yeah. awesome <laughs> yeah 100% if you didn't catch some of that Sunshine was just saying that sometimes we as the struggles come on we can feel the pressure just to fix it fix it fix it fix it in our own strength putting band-aids on it and we end up looking like Frankenstein where if, if we'd let God do it God can fix it God can work in it. God can strengthen us, just like he talks about in 1 Peter. Beautiful. Thanks, Sunshine. Yeah. Yeah. Y'all, most of you don't know me. (laughs) This is only my second time here, and um, I've been trying to kind of catch up in the podcast. So thank you for that. I've appreciated it. Um, I think when I read Peter, uh, 1 Peter, it's, it's... can, very convicting because there's a lot of you know live like this do this and 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 the messages sometimes that I hear are you know, or the things I think are man I don't do that I don't, I don't do this but what I love about it is it's so heavy and the things preached here too so thank you for this it's heavy on reminding you that everything stems with God we're not going to be able to do this but because Christ lived the perfect life because he died for us and so it always points back to that um, like you were saying, points back to the cross, points back to the Father, and that's where we're rooted, yeah. and I'm just so grateful. And so all of these things we can do, but when we fail, he's there, he picks us up, and, and the sanctification, it's just, it's beautiful, and I love that. So. Oh, oh, man, 100%. Yeah, thank you. Something that uh, stuck out to me was in uh, 1 Peter 2, 11 through chapter 3. And 
I don't know if you've ever got caught in a situation where it's like, what am I supposed to say right now? And feeling like everything is bent up on the words that come out of your mouth. And I've been rereading and reading this passage as I've been sitting here. And it talks about submission and it talks about people knowing us through our actions, not through our words. And it's kind of hitting me in the face of like all those prayers that I sent up. It's not in the moment that we're supposed to stand for ourselves. It's throughout our entire life and like the credibility that we've built with the people that we're talking with. And like, how do they see us in our, our lives? And um, a non-Christian friend asked me, he was like, oh, so you're a Christian? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, so how does that show up in your life? What does that change? <laughs> I gotta admit, I was kind of stumped. I was like, what do you mean? And he was like, well, I live life and you live life and what's the difference? Because, you know, we're both doing the same job. We're doing the same thing. We enjoy the same air and eat the same food. So what's, the, what, what's different from you between, between you and me? And at that moment, I immediately started praying like, oh God, give me the words, give me the words, give me the words. And it's not based on the words. We don't know what to say because we're not supposed to say it. We're supposed to show it. And... I don't know. That's encouraging thought because it's like all those little moments that we think nobody takes notice or the way we even speak because another friend of mine, we were talking and he was like, oh yeah, you got really mad at me and you called me this awful word. And a friend who wasn't even in the conversation turns around and he's like, she would never say that. She didn't say that. And like at the moment I was like, wow, cool. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, just goes back to like, we don't need to know the right words. We don't need to know what to say in the moment because it's not about the moment. It's about the life and the credibility we build in our life every day. Oh man, absolutely, yeah. Yeah. We got time for probably just one or two more. I'm like that teacher that can wait like an un uncomfortably long time, right? Everybody's like. Um, one of the verses that stuck out to me just as we were reading it um, says, for the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you don't, do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Um, and I just feel like this verse is very countercultural. We don't like to talk about it. We don't like to talk about judgment. Um, there are people who just completely malign Jesus, completely malign Christianity, and there are those that take Jesus and all of the good, happy feelings and love of Jesus and don't want to talk about judgment. Um, and malign the truth of the gospel. Um, and I've seen this especially this week um, with people celebrating 
the end of abortion and just like publicly being maligned. Um, and there's just, there's comfort knowing that those who seek to do evil are going to face God. and that they have to give an account. And I think we have to stand and we can't just give part of the truth of Christ and the truth of the gospel and leave aside the fact that there is judgment um, and that we have to give account and that we want the blood of Christ covering us when we face God. Thanks, Becca, yeah. Yeah, I think that, I think <clears throat> exactly like you mentioned, that example is the chance to suffer, suffer well for Christ, you know, to stand firm and to suffer even when it's unpopular and even when it's, when people would rather um, ridicule you and persecute you, but that's the chance to live out this book, to live out the truth in this book. Thanks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, one thing that keeps getting brought up was when Peter denied Jesus three times. And in that part of the gospel, it says when the crow cried, that, or the, when the rooster cried, he realized what he had done and he lamented and he was like, I would imagine for the next, however long it was, was guilt stricken and so deep in his own thoughts of how could I have done this? But then when Jesus came back, he, Peter seeing Jesus, ran to him and swam, to, swam out to him and he said, Jesus looked at Peter and said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said, yes. And he said, but do you love me? Yes. Do you love me? Yes. And in each, for each time that he was denied, Jesus made it a point to give Peter the opportunity to say that he loved him and to restore Peter even in his own mind and own heart that, hey, you are loved by me and I am loved by you. Therefore, I want you to go and feed my sheep and feed my lambs. And in our walks, when we do the same, whether we deny Jesus or whether we stumble, Jesus will give us the opportunity to say that we love him again and walk with him again. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well said. Well said. I think we had one more over here. I just wanted to kind of piggyback off of what Becca was saying. Um, and... I don't know, just as we're facing the trials and temptations of this life, uh, it comforts me to know that our inheritance is, um, it's imperishable, it's undefiled. It's, it's reserved in heaven and it's protected by God. Um, and it will never fade. I mean, it says it clearly right there in the word, chapter one, um, verse four. And it's through the living hope of Christ. So regardless of what we face, regardless of the persecution, 
none of that, no weapon formed against us can fail because, um, because of Jesus. <laughs> yeah. The powers, the authorities, it's all been given over to him. Oh, awesome. Yeah, thanks, brother. What a good note to end on. <laughs> all, the, all the suffering we can face, all the burdens, all the struggles, all the consequences of living out this faith and this life, Christ has provided for us an inheritance that is imperishable, that can't be touched. And I, I hope, as you go away from today with First Peter, that you're encouraged and, and strengthened and confirmed by this book and by the testimony of each other, of what God is doing, and that, and that we have an inheritance to look forward to with Christ, thanks to what he did. So, thank you. Thank you so much. I'll pray us out, and then we're going to spend some time in worship. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you that we had the chance and the opportunity to be here, to be strengthened, to be confirmed and encouraged by your word in 1 Peter, <clears throat> by the testimony of Peter and of all, of all that you did, Christ, and by the testimony of each other and the ways that you are strengthening and encouraging, confirming in each of our lives up to this very hour, up to right now. And as we go from here, Lord, I pray that we would continue in all the ways that First Peter has encouraged us to continue, to practice submission, to stand up for what is right, to stand up for what you call us into, and that we'll rely on your strength and your power to complete it. Thank you so much, Lord, for loving us first. In your name we pray.